1990, the Boston Globe ran a story about an unusual wedding reception. A woman and her fiancé went to uh, the Hyatt Hotel downtown and and got the venue booked and got the menu all picked out and uh, made these grand plans for their wedding reception. Uh, they went through the books to, to choose the china and to choose the silver and the, the pictures of flowers that they wanted to and just planned out this wedding reception just perfectly. It was a rather expensive one. It was about $13,000 that they were planning on spending uh, for this. It was a little expensive for a wedding reception. And they left a check for half of the amount as a deposit to, to hold the plans in place. Well, it was time to send out the announcements and invite everybody to this great celebration, and the groom gets cold feet. He's like, maybe this is not the right thing for me. And so he, he backs out of it. This is too big of a commitment for him. He wants to think about it a little bit longer. And so a slightly annoyed and angry a fiancé goes to the hotel and tries to cancel this reception that they have just made a deposit on. And, and the catering director says, I'm sorry, that's, that's non-refundable. I can give you $1,300 back, but uh, that extra 5000 that you've already put down, I'm sorry, it's, it's lost. So I can give you the 1300 back, or we can just go ahead and have the banquet. And so... It seemed crazy at first for this angry bride to, to continue on with this banquet that had already been planned. But she decided that she was going to go ahead and have a party. And instead of a, a wedding reception, she had a big party unlike any other party. She went and invited the homeless in from a homeless shelter and, and had this incredible events at the Hyatt for people who would have never been invited to this wedding reception, who had probably never even stepped foot into an event like this, in a space like this. And so in June of 1990, the Hyatt Hotel in downtown Boston hosted a party like it had never been seen before. And this hostess, who was once angry, had changed the menu to boneless chicken in honor of the groom. <laughs> she sent out invitations to the rescue missions and the homeless shelters. It was a warm summer night and she invited people who were rummaging through dumpsters to dine with her instead. She took in drug addicts and people living off of the street, bag ladies, and for this one night had this incredible event where they got to eat chocolate wedding cake and dance to big band melodies. And the bride ended up spending $26,000 to entertain this new group of people. And so today we're continuing on in this series titled Free where we're looking through the Gospel of Luke and looking at what he has uh, directed us into with these stories to, to reveal to us the mission of Jesus. That as he pieces together these stories for us, he, he weaves together this narrative that gives us a picture of who Jesus is and what he came to do. 
Uh, we really started this uh, with our Advent series back in December as we, we looked at Mary's song where she talks about the people that, G- that God sees, the people that are invited in. And so we're going through these each week. Uh, thank you to Stuart and to Esther for, for sharing the last couple weeks in this series as we, we hear who Jesus is, this, this story of this woman coming to this mill and, and washing Jesus' feet with her tears. And Jesus sees her and calls others to see her. This one who's in the shadows, this one who is ignored. John the Baptist is, sends his, his followers to Jesus and says, are you who you say you are? And Jesus shows the evidence of his ministry. Evidence not in the sermons that he preached, but evidence in the miracles, the blind seeing, the lame walking, the sick are healed. Yes, Jesus is who he says he is. And so today we're going to continue in Luke chapter 14, starting in verse 1, as we, as we continue to develop this idea of who Jesus is and what mission he has come for. Luke 14 has this gathering of four different segments that are all wound together around the context of a meal. Last week we talked about the importance of being at a table together, a meal together. And, and here in chapter 14 we have this scene of, of another meal. And this is a meal that is on Sabbath. It's a meal that's in a Pharisee's house. And we have this theme that Luke uses in, in a recurring way, the idea of being at a table. Because being at a meal with people allows you to see other people in a new light. And so Jesus is able to, to share a meal with people, and in the sharing of this meal, he's observing what social norms are going on. He's observing behavior. He's, he's observing how people respond to things. He's, he's observing the conversations that people have and how they treat one another. It's, it's at the table, at a meal together, that he is seeing all this. But then at the table is also this great context for Jesus to be teaching for Jesus to be giving instruction, for Jesus to be giving correction. And so the table is an important place for Jesus. And it's something that's going to play an important role throughout Luke and into Acts. It's it's one of the reasons why the Sunday before Easter we gather around tables in the gym so that we can share communion with one another in a way that we can't do every Sunday. And so a plug for for, Jesus. March 25th. Be here March 25th as we spend that Sunday together around tables instead of in pews. The table is important for Jesus. And so let's start in Luke 14, starting in verse 1. One Sabbath, another recurring theme here, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of his body. Jesus asked the Pharisees and the experts in the law, these people who were at the table with him, he asked them this question. It says, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? They remain silent. Oftentimes Jesus asks questions knowing he's not really going to get an answer because he already knows the answer. And so nothing is said, and so Jesus heals him. 
He takes hold of the man, he healed him, and sent him on his way. Then he asked them another question that they have no answer to. If one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? They said nothing. Now, we're not going to talk about comparing children to ox this morning, but apparently those two are at the same classification level right here. Is it important to pull this valuable thing out even though it's Sabbath? Even though this this day is set aside and, and there are very specific instructions and things that you're to do and not do on Sabbath, can you break those rules for the sake of saving something that's important to you? Jesus has asked a question that he already has an answer to, but there is no response. This is the scene for the rest of of what we're going to be looking at today. We're, We're at a table sharing a meal on the Sabbath in the home of a prominent Pharisee, this this person of power, this person of significance, this person of status, one who knows the law very well. And this is the table that Jesus has been invited to. The fact that Jesus has been invited says a lot. He means that he is someone who who brings value to this dinner party. But there's kind of this hidden agenda as well, because they are carefully watching Jesus as well. You know, the, the saying of keeping your enemies closer. Keep Jesus close so we can keep an eye on him. And so he's invited into this meal, and conveniently there is this sick person in the way. Is there a trap going on here? What, why is this person here? Because Jesus has a reputation of messing up the Sabbath. He has a reputation of doing things like healing somebody on the Sabbath. And so here he is presented with yet another opportunity to break the rules on Sabbath. And Jesus breaks the rules. It really is no surprise because tensions have been rising between Jesus and between the religious establishments. They've already had several instances where Jesus breaks the rules and they're watching. They're keeping an eye out on him. But Jesus does what Jesus does and he heals the man there in their presence and then just moves on to the next thing as if nothing happened. Jesus asks this other question, still no answer. But when it comes to this decision between law or mercy, follow the rules of the Sabbath or show someone compassion, follow the rules of the Sabbath or or rescue someone that is close to you in need, when those two choices are presented, the Pharisees choose law over mercy. The Sabbath law is much more important. But Jesus when given this choice between law and between mercy, he will choose mercy. The healing of the person, the rescuing of the lost is much more important than the rules. And so Jesus continues to reveal who he is and who he has come for and what he has come to do. And then we continue in verse 7. Remember, he's observing the behavior of the people that he's at this dinner party with. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place 
of honor. For a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come to you and say, could you give this seat up for this more important person? And then you will, of course, be humiliated. And you will have to take a seat of lesser prominence. But when you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to this better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who are humbled will be exalted. This is an interesting observation of what's going on at this dinner party. Jesus is there eating, and, and he is seeing people pushing their way to the best seats. They want to be the closest to the host. They want to be closest to the kitchen. I don't know what the best seat is, but they want to be in the best seats, this best spot, and they're, they're fighting to be recognized as the best. And Jesus observes this about them. That here you are, you're pushing people down so that you can be lifted up. You're fighting for this place of status. You're fighting for this place of prominence. And he says, no. Take the least place. Now there's, there's some, some obvious and easy applications here about, about humility and what it means. But Jesus is really addressing more than just good manners. What to do at Dinner Party 101. He's really addressing what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God. What is God working at? What is God doing? What is he up to here? And he's using this moment, he's using this illustration as a clue to what it is that Jesus finds most important. What is most important? Is it sitting in that place of prominence? Is it being close to the host? Or is it allowing others to go before you and not really worry what your status is, not worry what the hierarchy is, not worry about what the ranking is, not a feeling of self-importance or self-entitlement? And so one of our human natures that you know, we're, we're so pride-driven and so ego-driven that, that some of us will take this passage and then manipulate it to say, okay, well, if I want to be on top, then I'm going to have to take the least spot so then I can get to the best spot. Which is just the same thing in reverse, right? There's still this self-importance disguised as humility, which is even worse. There's this false sense of humility. It's like, oh, no, 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 you take it, you take it. Please don't say yes, please. Please don't say it. No, no, you take it, you take it. But Jesus says, no. You take that least spot. You take what's lowest, and it is what it is. And as we tell our kids, it is what it is, and you don't throw a fit. <laughs> it is what it is. There's not this sense of, of manipulation, this sense of trying to get to something better. It's just, I'm perfectly content. It is what it is. I don't throw a fit. So many of our, our messages for children need to be played for us, right? Some of us have fits that are just embarrassing. 
Because we say one thing, but we mean another. We really want to be that important person. We want to be in that space of honor. We want to be recognized. We want to be acknowledged. We want to say, hey, look at this great person. We're hungry for that. And Jesus says, that's not what the kingdom is about. Let's continue in verse 12. Then Jesus said to his host, so we've been looking at the guests, and how the guests have been behaving badly. And now we shift our attention to the host and say, now you host, you've got some issues to work on too. Then Jesus said to this host, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. And so Jesus has been observing the guests, fighting for the place of best, the best position at the table, and now he turns his attention to the host and says, I've been observing you as well, because I see who you've invited. And more importantly, I've seen who you've not invited. To really understand each of these stories, we have to have this idea of what the cultural expectations were here. When you gave a gift in this culture, and the gift, whether it's a physical gift or the gift of an invitation to come to your home, when when something is given, there is this expectation that it will be reciprocated. So if I invite you over for dinner, it is expected that you would invite me over for dinner as well. So if you're having a dinner or party, you're going to invite people that will be inviting you later. There are certain people that I don't want to go have dinner with, so I'm not going to invite them to my house because I don't want them to invite me to their house. Right? So we invite the people that will have the greatest benefit to us. This is the cultural norm here. I know this sounds completely foreign and we would never do anything like this today where we would invite people that would help us in some way. Maybe it's a business associate, associate, maybe it's somebody that you network with, or or there's some benefit that you receive by inviting them in. And so the higher the status, the higher the prominence, maybe they, they can reciprocate that by inviting you to their really nice house and have a really nice dinner with them. Maybe it's just reciprocated because their high status makes you look really good to other people. Oh, they've got all those fancy friends. They must be fancy too, right? And so he's looking at the hosts and saying, the people that you are inviting, you're basing it on the wrong criteria. You're inviting people based on what they can give you, based on what benefit you will receive. And when someone cannot give you anything because of who they are or the status that they find themselves in, if they cannot reciprocate that, they're now excluded. And so the question that Jesus is asking is, who are the people that you don't benefit from? They don't give you anything. They don't contribute anything to you, either emotionally or physically. Those are the ones you should be inviting over for dinner. We think about hospitality. We use this word hospitality, and we usually associate the gift of hospitality with someone someone who's good in the kitchen. 
They can cook well. Or maybe they can grow th- throw great dinner parties. Friday night was this beautiful night because Laura has this gift for, for envisioning what something can be and making, feel people, making people feel welcome and appreciated. That is not the gift of hospitality. That's the gift of party planning and affirmation. All good gifts. Wait for it, wait for it. So, and, Pinterest, and a really great Pinterest board. And in church, we call that hospitality. Inviting your friends over for dinner is not hospitality. In the New Testament, the word hospitality literally means loving the stranger. It's having someone over for dinner that you don't know, that cannot reciprocate in any way. And so we have been misusing the word hospitality for quite some time. As we talk about what it means to have someone into your home, you know, we went through this summer initiative of inviting people over for dinner. That was just to kind of dip our toe in, dip our toe in to this idea of having people over. And many of us found that difficult in and of itself. Can you share a meal with somebody? Not take them food, not drop off food, not uh, pay for food, but actually sit at the table and share a meal with somebody who can't reciprocate for some reason. That's what Jesus is talking to this host about. It says, you've invited all the popular people. That's easy to do. You invite your friends, you invite the popular people, you invite the ones that make you look good and and make you feel comfortable and, and make you feel good about yourself. He says you've missed what the kingdom is about. This is hard. I do not like texts like this. Because you, you read in here, and I don't have a long list of applications for sermons like this because Jesus just hits you in the face with this parable, and you're left to figure it out. What does this mean for you? We can say we need to start some other church program. We can say that you need to add this thing. You need to pay for this thing. You need to do that thing. But for you, when you hear Jesus talk about being a guest, and when you talk about Jesus being a host, What is it that you hear him saying to you? Who is it that cannot reciprocate anything for you? Is there there a relative that you have that you're at odds with? Is there someone, a neighbor, or is there someone here at church or or the other areas that we're in with that that we just, we distance ourselves because there is no reciprocation there? These are challenging questions. And so imagine being at this dinner party with Jesus, and this is what he just said, and you're like, man, I'm looking around the table, and I do not see anyone that Jesus is talking about. I don't see the blinds. I don't see the lame. I don't see the crippled, and I don't see the poor, because we've been having this great party for ourselves. 
And as if that's not enough, Jesus then tells another story. Verse 15. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat and feast at the kingdom of God. And Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant out to tell them, uh, who, tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. I've invited you and you're coming, and so come on, it's, it's time to get together and have this feast But they all began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another, I just got married so I can't come to your dinner party. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry. He's invited all these prominent people to come join him for dinner, and they've rejected his invitation. And so now he is angry, and he does something that is shocking. He orders his servant to go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and bring in the poor, bring in the crippled, bring in the blind, bring in the lame. And so his servant goes out and says, what you ordered has been done, but there's still more room. The table is not yet full. And so the master orders his servant, go out into the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in. The people who are not even worthy to be in the city, the people who are excluded even from the town, they have to be out of town because they're so dirty and they're so unclean. Go and invite those ones into the banquet as well. I tell you, not one of those who were invited We'll get a taste of my banquets. The people who were originally invited, they would have never had a meal like this with these people. And so this is a simple yet a profound story that reminds us of the Boston bride who has this great party and invites guests who have no gift, nothing to bring, and prepares them this great banquet. He's invited guests, and and no doubt he has followed the social norms of who he's invited. He's invited the landowners. He's invited the ones who can have five oxen. He's invited the ones who are getting married. These are ones that all have prominence in society, and these are the ones that he's invited to, to boost up his reputation. And all of these excuses are good excuses. We have lots of good excuses for not joining the banquet. Business is going on and and families are going on and relationships are going on and there's all these good things that we're doing and that we're busy with, but we're not joining the banquet. He's invited us and we say, "Ah, I got to go attend this other thing first. I've got to go take care of that thing first. And I've missed the banquet. I've missed the party. Because the things that I'm doing have become the more important agenda than God's agenda. They're not bad excuses. They're reasons that can be well argued. But they're attractive alternatives that have drawn away from the invitation to discipleship. 
And so does God's offer have priority over our agendas? The best things that we have, the good things that we have, have we prioritized our agendas over God's agendas? We have things that are good, we have things that are beneficial, but have they distracted us from the mission of God? And that's a tough question. After the host finds that there are no guests coming, he chooses this crazy alternative. And this is an image of what the kingdom of God is like. He doesn't invite people from his social circle. He doesn't invite people from his class or his status or his prominence. He invites people off of the streets. He invites the poor, he invites the crippled, he invites the lame, he invites the blind, all those who cannot reciprocate the invitation, who have no gift to bring, who have nothing to offer, these are the ones that he invites. And so when you look around Jesus' banquet table, what faces do you see? Who do you see invited to the table? Do you even see yourself? Are you one that Jesus would invite? What about your circle of friends? Are those ones that would be at the banquet table as well? And so as we look at these parables, there's a lot to pull out from it. And the big question is, where do you see yourself in the story? Where do you sit? Are you at the place of the host who is picking and choosing who to include and who not to include? Are you this host who, who is looking at others so that you can have a benefit from them? That the relationships that you engage in, the time that you spend, the people that you are interacting with is more about what do you get out of it? And how do you benefit from it? Or do you see yourself as, the, as, as a guest? And what kind of guest? Are you one of the first guests? One that is prominent? One that brings a lot to the table? Of course you're invited to the dinner party every time because you are the attractive, popular one. You have something to offer. Maybe it's your intelligence. Maybe it's your wit. Maybe it's your comedy. Maybe it is fill in the blank, you're invited to the dinner party because you will be the life of the party. Or do you find yourself sitting uninvited? Maybe you don't have a lot to offer. Maybe you don't fit in in some way. Who are you in this story? Because Jesus is saying that it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what your status is. It doesn't matter what your gender is. It doesn't matter what your wealth is, economic value. It doesn't matter what your intelligence is or what you bring to the table. The table is open for all. And I think for many of us, one of the challenging things is, do we see ourselves as that poor, crippled, lame and blind person who's invited to the table no matter what 
because we have a host that invites us to a table that we have no ability to repay. None of us can reciprocate the gift that God gives us. And so we sit at the table, not deserving it, not bringing anything to offer, saying, I don't know why he invited me, but here I am. And that's where we sit at the table. And so I want us to change our plan a little bit. I want us to go to the table. And so if you're serving communion this morning, if you, you want to go ahead and head back and get ready there. Sorry, Joe, in the back for the surprise. Um, so, Because this, this is... This, <laughs> this is the perfect communion meditation, right? Why do another one? Because Jesus says, come to my table. Come and feast with me. Even though you are broken, even though you are poor, even though you are blind, even though you are lame and crippled, we all are in that. We are all broken. We are all blind. And we need... God to invite us in and say, eat at my table. Eat at my table. And I'm going to give you this gift that is so incredible, so powerful. Don't even try to reciprocate it. We bring nothing with us into this space. This message that Jesus gives us is is if you find yourself excluded, Jesus is saying, I am lifting you up. But for many, he's saying, you think you're at the top. You think you are the one who brings some value. You think by your intellect. You think by your wealth. You think by whatever it is you think you're bringing into this place. You think you have a place at my table because of that? No. None of us have anything to bring to the table. And so let's pray together. God, we thank you for this gift of Jesus, this gift that says, come to me. Come to my table. Feast with me. God, thank you for that invitation because we don't deserve it. We are in the streets. We are in the gutter. We do not deserve to be sitting at your table. You are the host that is that we are so unworthy to sit with and you invite us there anyway. You give us Jesus and say, I am giving you this man to live for you, to die for you. And so God, we take this bread together, we break this bread, and we join at table with one another in appreciation for a gift we do not deserve. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.